Uh, this evening, what we're going to be doing is something a little more informational, because we're going to take what we talked about last night when we unpack just a little bit the uh, what God has done in just the last hundred years, in the last 50 years, to bring about an explosion of the gospel message around the world. We're going to take that and look at it in a lot more detail. We're going to look at the changing face of the worldwide church. And uh, I'd like you to be thinking as we go through this uh, this evening, any questions you might have that you'd like to follow up on, we'll ha- hopefully have a little bit of time at the end to ask some questions. Um, this is very specifically the theme of the conference. What has happened in the last few years? How has the gospel gone out impacted the world? And then, what is the situation today? And what remains to be done? This is an update on the changing face of the worldwide church. Last night, I took you to two different conferences. To Edinburgh 1910, this gathering of 112, uh, excuse me, uh, 1,200 delegates that came almost entirely from Western countries. It was a time when missions had only begun to penetrate beyond the coastal areas of the continents of Africa and Asia. But if we come a hundred years later to Cape Town 2010, down in South Africa, we enter into a conference of 4,300 delegates who come from more nations than are in the United Nations. 65% of all who were there were from Africa, Asia, and Latin America. That is a dramatic look at what has happened in the world over the last few years, especially the last 50 years. Uh, this information comes from the newest edition of the book I was talking about, Operation World, as it traces the progress of global evangelicals in the last 50 years. Now, this is people who profess to know Christ as Savior, people who say, I believe the Bible is God's inspired word and it's our only authority, and I believe that only by faith in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross can someone go to heaven. This is people who profess that. Only God knows how many of these people are truly born again. We don't know. But those who would claim to be evangelical. Now, we're going to look at five-year increments, and every blue dot represents 50,000 progressive or professing evangelicals. This is in 1960, and you can see the blue dots heavily in parts of Northern Europe, uh, North America, the United States, and a little bit in Africa and some in Latin America. 1965, 1970, 1975, 1980. You see the blue dots growing? 1985, 1990. Look at what's happened over in Asia. 1995, year 2000, 2005, 2010, right where we are now. You see, the shift of gravity of the worldwide church, especially professing believers in Christ, is shifting to what some have called the global south, especially Africa, Asia, and Latin America. Another way of illustrating the way some of these changes have taken place are the percentages of evangelicals. Now, you look on this chart over here, back in 1960, you can see that over 70% of evangelicals were in Europe, North America, and the Pacific, and probably about 30% in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. But over the years, that percentage has shifted so that now almost 80% of all professing evangelicals are in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. Just a little over 20% are in Europe, North America, and the Pacific there means primarily Australia and New Zealand. Raw numbers of evangelicals, uh, 1960, you see this from this gray, uh, that there were about 100 million evangelicals in Europe, uh, 
North America and the Pacific. Now it's about 120, a little bit more. But look at the numbers in Africa, Asia, and Latin America, the raw numbers. In 1960, it was, oh, about, oh, maybe 30 million. Today, between 500 and 600 million evangelicals in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. Another way of illustrating the change is to plot the center of gravity of worldwide Christianity. And now we're talking in broader terms of professing Christians, a broader term than evangelicals. So I know these are not all born-again believers, but of course in 33 AD when Jesus ascended to heaven, Jerusalem was the center of world Christian faith. Over the next hundred years in increments, the church shifted to the west, so there were still lots of believers in Asia and Africa. Uh, in about uh, 1200, the center of gravity was right there in what is today Romania. Over the next few years, as the church shrank dramatically in Africa and Asia, the center of gravity shifted so that in 1970, with lots of believers in the United States and, and lots of Christians, professing Christians in Europe, 1970, that was the center of gravity. But look what's happened since then. In 10-year increments, 2000, and now in, in roughly between 2000 and 2010, this is projecting up until uh, 2100, so that today the center of gravity of the worldwide Christian movement is actually in Timbuktu. There really is a Timbuktu. It's in West Africa, and it's right in this area right here. Now, this is a chart, again, of professing evangelical believers, those who at least would be very similar to us in our faith. They believe that you have to have faith in Christ to be saved, not just be born into a Christian family and be baptized a Christian. They believe their authorities in Scripture. The darker the blue represents the higher percentage of evangelicals. You can see where evangelical faith is very heavily today. In Africa, parts of Latin America, still strong in the United States, and, and but very, very weak up here in Europe and still uh, parts of North Africa, Central Asia. China, India as, as countries growing very strongly in those areas. Um, so that today, an African theologian named John Mbiti says the centers of the church's universality are no longer in places that you might think, Europe or North America, places like Geneva, Rome, Athens, Paris, London, and New York, but rather Kinshasa, which is in Africa, Buenos Aires in South America, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, Manila in the Philippines. So what does this southern face of the church look like? Now, I'm going to make some generalizations that uh, if we ask, what does the church in Africa, Asia, and Latin America look like by comparison? And some of these are drawn from a book by a man named Philip Jenkins, who is a professor of history and religion at Penn State. Um, he is a professing Christian. I don't know if he is a born-again person or not, but he is approaching this more as an academic scholar. And this is his uh, analysis, and I think for the most part he is right. You can't say that the church around the world is the same, but this church in the global south, Africa, Asia, and Latin America, does tend to look very specifically, or rather generally, uh, somewhat similar. It's not uh, a single movement, and it's not just the, the Western church. For one, there's a strong emphasis on the Bible. Uh, the Bible in Africa, Asia, and Latin America is taken seriously and read literally often because the worldview of churches in this part of the world is much closer to the worldview of the first readers of the Bible themselves. That is, people in Africa, Asia, and Latin America culturally are very similar to the people of the first century and the people, the ancient Hebrews. And so they, they are able to read Scripture and say, yeah, that's the way the world is. In general, the church in the global south puts a strong emphasis on spiritual power and charismatic gifts. The church in the global south tends to be more charismatic and Pentecostal than the church in the global north and west. 
tends to be a strong emphasis on conservative social ethics. Maybe you've heard about the worldwide debate in the Anglican community over homosexuality. It's made headlines in Time magazine and, and the Associated Press. As Western Christians have criticized, uh, Western Anglicans, I should say, have criticized their brothers and sisters in Africa and Asia and Latin America because they've opposed homosexual actions and homosexual ordination and marriage. Uh, one bishop in New Jersey who's very, very liberal, a man named John Spong, said that the African and the Asian bishops needed to come into the 20th century. And he was responded by Bishop John Orumbi, who is the Archbishop of Uganda, who is very conservative, uh, a brother in Christ, I'm quite convinced. And he said he was deeply insulted by what the New Jersey bishop said because he believed the Bible and he believed homosexual actions were sin and the church needed to take a strong stand against this. So it is the African and Asian bishops in the Anglican communion that are taking a very strong stand for biblical conservative social ethics. The church around the world is not wealthy. It's not what you might imagine from the church in North America and Europe, but rather very poor. Jenkins says, contrary to myth, the typical Christian in the world is not a white fat cat from the United States or Western Europe, but rather a poor person, often unimaginably poor by Western standards. We know, too, that the church around the world is often in areas of persecution and conflict. Millions of the Christians around the world, Jenkins says, do in fact live in constant danger of persecution or forced conversion, either from governments or local vigilantes, or they become rest refugees. This is both in Islamic and Hindu contexts. We've heard of church burnings and Christian Christians murdered in the last several years in Indonesia and Nigeria. Just the last couple of weeks, this has happened also in Ethiopia. I mentioned last night reconversion squads in India, prison and torture in Eritrea. One more fact about the southern church, and that's that it's coming north. And that's a way of saying that immigrants from Africa, Asia, and Latin America moving to the West are bringing conservative and often biblical Christian faith with them. For example, the Kingsway International Christian Center in London, pastored by a Nigerian, Matthew Ashimolowo, uh, is the largest church in London. Some 10,000 people made up almost entirely of African immigrants. Another church in Kiev in the Ukraine is pastored by another Nigerian, a man named Sunday Adelaja. That church is called the Embassy of the Blessed Kingdom of God for All Nations. Rather a pretentious title, but it really is. Uh, Brother Sunday's uh, congregation is not primarily made up of African immigrants, but of native ethnic Ukrainians. Uh, and this is a church where the, this brother from Nigeria has come north. He's planted a church, and he's bringing the enthusiasm of Christian faith from the global south to the north. Let's do a worldwide survey then and ask, what does the church look like around the world? And again, I'm making some generalizations. But let's start with Africa, where there are now, as I mentioned last night, 180 million, 182 million professing evangelical believers. That's twice as many as in North America, growing at the rate of 3.6 percent, 20,000 a day in Africa. Uh, just by way of illustration, I read recently a missionary prayer letter that described an airplane trip going from Frankfurt to Accra, Ghana. This was a trip on the German airline Lufthansa, and the missionary said that uh, it was, it was the, on the plane was almost entirely Africans uh, going to Africa. And he said shortly after takeoff, the pilot said that they were having some serious engine trouble and they were going to have to go uh, back to Frankfurt. And so uh, there was a lot of concern on the airplane, of course, because of engine trouble. Uh, he said he went back to the restroom, and as he was returning to his seat, he noticed that just about everybody on the airplane had their Bible open. You can imagine that. He said Lufthansa Flight 564 looked like it had turned into a Bible study. 
And he said only on an airline that was, or an airplane filled primarily with Africans would this happen these days because the, Af the, the, uh, the continent of Africa has become so evangelical. Um, this, again, is a close-up of the church of some char charts in Africa. You can see the darker blue represent professing evangelical areas, very high percentage. Uh, and you can see how in Africa the percentage of the Christians of all stripes have grown dramatically. The brown represents African traditional religion. Sometimes you think of Africa, you think of people who primarily uh, are worshiping um, the spirits. They are primarily following traditional religions. They are animistic in their faith. And yet you can see that today the number of Africans who follow traditional religions is less than 10%. Africa has become largely a Christian in the South and Muslim in the North continent. Professing Christian, we're saying here at this point. What's, what are the needs? Well, training, because there is a lot of bad theology the prosperity gospel, the gospel that teaches if you have enough faith, you can have health and wealth in your life, uh, and all you need is enough faith is very strong in many parts of Africa. Uh, there's been a lot of failure of the church to impact culture, as you can see from the prevalence of AIDS in Africa and government corruption. That is, they are professing Christians, but in many cases it has not changed the way they have functioned in life. There is a great challenge of Islam. The northern African countries are strongly Islamic, and they have sent many, many Islamic missionaries and also a lot of Islamic money in much of Africa. Ethiopia, for example, right here, is a country where they have poured millions and millions of dollars to build mosques all throughout the countryside to attract people to become Muslims. There are many pockets of unreached people throughout Africa. For example, up here in northern Malawi, a strong Muslim people group called the Yao among whom there are almost no believers at all. So even down in these areas where there are many, many believers, there are still many unreached. And of course, we want to pray for an increased missions vision out of Africa, that the African church will embrace an even stronger missions vision. I'm going to talk about some countries like Nigeria where there was already as a strong missions vision in Africa in just a few moments. But uh, let's pray that the whole of the continent of Africa, especially southern Africa. This area has sent almost no missionaries outside of this area to carry the gospel to other parts of the world. Let's go to Latin America, where today there are about 91 million professing evangelicals. This is not Catholics. These are evangelical believers who would fall into one or another Protestant denomination. That's uh, about 10,000 a day becoming Christians, 2.6% growth rate. Now we're talking professing Christians here. The needs in Latin America, well, there is a growing missions movement, which I'll talk about in a few moments in Latin America, which needs to be more sustainable, needs to be missionaries who are able to go out and stay out for a long period of time instead of just short term. Uh, there are whole areas of Latin America that are uh, still unreached. For example, Uruguay, probably the most secular country in all of the Americas, including the Caribbean. Uh, parts of Mexico, many rural areas through these areas, still relatively unreached with the gospel. Going over to Asia, where we still, where we have a great amount of evangelical growth in the past years. 146 million plus evangelicals in Asia. There's a great missions vision, which I've already mentioned, in Korea, parts of India, Philippines, and China, where many, many believers have a rich missions vision. China, I've already mentioned, with the Back to Jerusalem movement last night. But this is still the least evangelized part of the world. 87% of all people in Asia are completely unevangelized. They have not heard a gospel message, and there is no believer immediately within their life circle that can carry the gospel to them. So in spite of great growth in parts of Asia, like China and India, which we'll focus in just a minute, this is still a very unevangelized area. Uh, 
persecution is stronger in Asia than any other part of the world, particularly in the Muslim and Hindu parts of, the, of Asia. And in parts of Asia, the church is, is liberal, with some very liberal theology. Universalism and inclusivism is the strongest here in any other part of the global south. That would be professing Christians who would say that people could be saved without having actually trusted Christ as Savior. So even though the church is strong and evangelicals are strong, um, there are parts of Asia that have very liberal churches as well. China, I mentioned last night, where officially the government recognizes 30 million Christians, even the Marxist government. Unofficially, there are at least 105 million, probably more than that. About 10,000 people a day becoming Christians. The darker red areas of the provinces that are the more heavily Christianized in China. And as I said last night, everything you've heard about the church in China is true someplace in China. There is heavy persecution. There are vast unreached areas, especially in Tibet and out here in the Muslim areas of China. Uh, but there are also areas where the church is growing very, very fast. The Middle East, we know, is a very uh, strong Muslim area. And in the recent years, there has been a tremendous uh, shrinking of the historic churches, that is, the ancient Orthodox churches, such as in Iraq. Uh, the professing Christian church in the widest sense, uh, not necessarily all born-again believers by any sense in Iraq, has shrunk dramatically in the last 10 years, as many have had to flee. Intense persecution because of uh, Muslim persecution of believers in the Middle East, but still some amazing growth. Uh, we all know about the, the Iranian revolution in Iran that took place back in the late 70s. And the Ayatollah Khomeini at that time had his vision of the Iranian a Republic of Iran, which has taken place. But so many Iranians have been disillusioned as a result of Islam taking complete control of their country that there has been the most rapid growth of the church in Iran since the earliest centuries of the church. Today, at least 100,000 believers in Iran, underground Christians in Iran. Um, some have estimated as many as 500,000 underground believers in Iran. Uh, though we have no idea of knowing how many. It's the Ayatollah's worst nightmare. What about Europe? Well, Europe, which is traditionally thought of as a Christian part of the world, is still professing Christian and yet shrinking dramatically. Um, the population growth is here. The growth of uh, professing Christians is actually shrinking. And the growth of non-religious people growing much faster than the population. More and more Europeans are entirely non-religious in any sense. Though there is some evangelical growth. Christianity as a whole is declining. Europe is post-everything. Post-Christian, meaning that it's no longer a Christian continent. And post-Christian is dangerous because it means people believe they understand Christianity and they've given it up. And so when you take the gospel to them and purport to come in the name of Christ and call yourself a Christian, they will say to you, we have been there, we have done that, it doesn't work, we're not interested. They're postmodern. We talked a little bit about pluralism yesterday morning. The typical European believes that there, uh, if there is a God, that it doesn't matter what path you take to him, they all come to him. Uh, yet there has been great immigrant renewal. I mentioned the two churches pastored by the two Nigerians early. That's typical of what's happening around Europe. Much of this evangelical growth is coming from immigrants, largely from Africa, though some European, native Europeans are also coming to Christ. Um, we need to especially pray for this for the church in what is sometimes called a post-denominational and post-structural church. 
That is, the, the denominations are largely declining and very close to being dead in much of Europe. And yet there is a renewal, but it's coming in house groups and others who are meeting outside of the traditional denominations. Let's give you an example from Great Britain, a country that Bahamas has had a great uh, closeness to over the years. Today, though Britain is thought of as a Christian country, only 40% of the British people identify themselves as Christian. 40%. Two-thirds of all British young people between the ages of 18 and 24 describe themselves as completely non-religious in any sense. And a half of those say that Jesus did not even exist as a historical person, an extremely radical position that's utterly indefensible, and yet that's the perception of most British young people today. Baptismal records uh, in Britain that have uh, 25 million Anglicans, and yet from uh, the years 89 to 98, Sunday attendance for all denominations declined to only 3.7 million. The church in Britain is shrinking. Today, only 43% of Brits can state what Easter celebrates. This in the country that sent out William Carey and Hudson Taylor and some of the greatest missionary movements of all time in the last century. Today, there are more Anglicans in Nigeria, which is there in West Africa, than in Britain, Europe, Canada, the United States combined. The Anglican Church uh, had better listen to the church in Africa and Asia or there's not going to be any Anglican Church left. North America. Well, you can see that the non-religious growth in North America continues to be frighteningly high, much higher than the number of evangelicals. The United States still has the raw, most raw number of Christians, that is, total number of professing Christians. But increasingly, believers in the United States are marginalized from the mainstream culture, and the growth is much slower. There is the challenge of postmodern culture, new forms of church, retaining biblical truth, and yet connecting and staying relevant in the United States. What about your part of the world, the Caribbean? Well, uh, the Christian faith is still widespread, and often evangelical growth is strong in many parts of the Caribbean, and yet nominalism is a great threat. I don't have to tell you that. That is nominal Christian faith in your part of the world. Um, as the pastor told me, uh, you can find a church on every corner in the Bahamas. And yet, uh, much of the Christian faith is very nominal. Um, there are significant local challenges throughout the Caribbean. There is, of course, voodoo in Haiti, where Sister Phyllis is from, Santeria in Cuba, Rastafarianism in Jamaica. And yet, the Caribbean holds perhaps one of the greatest potentials for, as a missionary sending region. That is, the number of missionaries from this part of the world can grow tremendously. And that's one of the reasons I'm excited to be here. Now, just by way of surveying again, the blue represents professing Christians. I don't have a chart that shows Christians and the unevangel or evangelicals and the unevangelized. So this is Christians in the broadest sense. So I think this is seriously overstated. Don't think of Europe as being a Christian area, as we've just seen. But the rest of these areas somewhat accurate. The gray represents areas that are not yet evangelized. Where is the need? That's what we want to talk about in the next few minutes. Where is the need? Well, if we look at the countries with the largest populations of unevangelized, here is the need right here. Japan, China still, because of its large population, Indonesia, and then this belt of, of countries right through here. Turkey, Iran, Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, and areas in Southeast Asia. These are the countries where, the, where people who have not yet heard the gospel need to hear the gospel and the largest numbers. 
If we look at the number of people groups, that is, ethnic linguistic people groups, where the largest numbers are, it's very similar, except Japan drops out. That's because Japan is largely just a single people group there, not many. And we add Sudan, where the population is smaller, but there are many, many people groups who have not yet heard the gospel. If we focus in and say, where are the largest people groups who still need to hear the gospel? Where do you see it? Well, primarily, as I was saying right last, uh, last night, right there in the Ganges River Valley, where uh, Patrick Johnstone, the editor of Operation World, has called, or the previous editor, has said this is where the battle for world evangelism will be won or lost. Over 400 million people uh, who are outside the range of having a believer in their neighborhood or their community or in their people group who speak their language and can share the gospel with them. 400 million people. It's going to take someone to go cross-culturally to carry the gospel right in these areas. Now, there's other areas, too, as well. Japan, Southeast Asia, but especially there. Now, I want to talk just a little bit about something I touched on last night. And I want to encourage us with the way God is raising up a missionary sending force from the global south. With just a few more illustrations, last night we talked about Korea, we talked about China, I talked about some of the Ethiopian missionaries, a few others that are prominent and that are important to know about. First of all, we need to know about the country of Nigeria and some great, oh, excuse me, this is, a, this is something that's happening in Sudan right here, this uh, southern Sudan, where for years there was a brutal civil war between north and south. But a few years ago, a peace treaty was signed, now opening up the opportunity for education and church work in the South. A whole generation has grown up without any opportunity for education at all because there was so much fighting in this area. Local schools completely shut down. Um, when the door was opened, our mission, the mission agency that Marsha and I used to be part of, SIM, wanted to send in as many teachers as possible to teach these children and also work with the church. But there weren't nearly enough Western teachers. And so we partnered with our mature churches that have grown up in Nigeria and Ethiopia, sending out teams of evangelist school teachers who would go into southern Sudan, teach children, but also be there to do church work. And this is the missionary team in southern Sudan. I want you to get a good look at this, because this is not the traditional perspective on missions. You see, there's a handful of Westerners there, but most of those in this missionary team are Ethiopians and Nigerians. This is the team doing missions, taking advantage of this door in the global, uh, in southern Sudan, the open door that's there. Nigeria. I meant to bring this in one by one. Another place, I just mentioned the Nigerians going to Sudan. Uh, Nigeria is now a country where there are 9,000 missionaries serving in 56 countries. We don't think of Nigeria as being a great missionary-sending country. Most of the Nigerians are serving cross-culturally within Nigeria. Uh, Nigeria has over 100 different uh, distinctive languages and people groups. And these are Nigerian missionaries that have gone cross-culturally from one part of Nigeria to another, usually from the south to the Muslim north. But they are in 55 other countries. And Nigeria has a project, they're calling it 5015, to send 50,000 missionaries by the year 2015. 5015. Particularly, there's been a call in a Nigerian missions magazine a few years ago, uh, who, people who were aware of what the Chinese were doing, wanting to bring in missionaries uh, back to Jerusalem. They said, let's meet the Chinese. Let's carry the gospel, particularly to these parts of the world, 
that are yet unreached. The Chinese are going to do the work between China and Jerusalem. Let's do the work between Nigeria and Jerusalem. And of course, this part of the world that they want to reach into is a very strongly hostile Muslim part of the world. The Nigerians are picking up the baton and saying, we're going to carry the gospel to these parts of the world. Well, let's go over to Latin America, another emerging missionary sending force. This is a growth of uh, Ibero-American missionaries. This is the preferred term. That is, missionaries that come from parts of the world heavily colonized by Spain and Portugal. You can see the growth of missionaries so that today there are almost 10,000 Iberian-American missionaries coming from uh, the Americas, Spanish and Portuguese-speaking parts of the Americas. And they come from 462 different mission agencies. This is as of 2006. Now, many of them are operating within... Uh, Latin America, that is, they have gone to another country within Latin America. Some 30% of them have gone to other countries within Latin America. But I want you to see the numbers of these that have gone to the most difficult parts of the world, Over almost 800 that have gone to the Muslim parts of the world, almost 250 gone to Hindu parts of the world, 128 that have gone to Buddhist parts of the world. These are missionaries from Latin America. Uh, Marsh and I had a chance to see one of these teams when we visited in India where SIM has uh, missionaries from five or six different Latin American countries. We were most impressed by what uh, one Guatemalan fellow was doing in uh, Delhi in India. He uh, has teams coming from different parts of the world, but including Latin America, and they meet in the central mosque in Delhi. And then he has them walk out from the central mosque one hour praying as they go. This is literally that mosque. And walking through the narrow, crowded streets of Delhi. And then they're to turn around, as they have been praying, that God will give them a person of peace that they will come in contact with, and walk back in toward the mosque, seeking to meet out and talk with as many people as possible. And they've, they've been able to just bring a host of contacts, people who are interested in the gospel, from among the Muslim, particularly the Muslim community of Delhi in India. This is being stimulated by Latin Americans. I want to finish up uh, our discussion of the mission force from uh, the, the global south by talking about a part of the world you don't think of very much. Up here in northeast India, though much of India is unreached with the gospel, there are four states up in northeast India that are majority Christian, including majority evangelical. These beautiful people uh, heard the gospel for the first time about 150 years ago. Missionaries coming from many parts of Europe, especially Wales and responded in great numbers, so that today there, are, there is one state that is not only majority evangelical, but majority Baptist. You can imagine a state majority Baptist. Now, uh, I had a chance to visit there a couple of years ago, and uh, I spoke at a, uh, a missions conference there, uh, a gathering um, in several different towns, and one of the places we had a Sunday afternoon uh, rally, uh, crusade, or not, it, was, it wasn't evangelistic, it was mobilizing the whole town for missions. And uh, as I got there, and I looked at all of these people, and I counted about 2,000 chairs, I asked my translator up at the front on the die there, how many uh, Christians were in the town? And uh, he leaned over to me and he said, well, everybody in town is a Christian. I said, well, how many people? He said, oh, I don't know how many people, maybe a thousand houses. So I did some math. I thought, well, four to eight thousand people. I said, everyone's a Christian. I, I was thinking, and I said to him, you mean like Catholic, Protestant, things like that? He said, no, 100% Presbyterian. So these folks in this town um, are all professing believers. They came to Christ. Uh, uh, I mean, it was their great-great-grandparents that came to Christ. 
and uh, they have passed down Christian faith, and now they have a passion for carrying the gospel around the world. Um, we know of missionaries from this part of the world uh, who are with our organization, SIM, who have gone out to Myanmar and Bangladesh and Bhutan and other organizations. But beyond that, uh, they have sent some teams over to Sudan, where they are working with this same group now in southern Sudan. Uh, one of our SIM missionaries was visiting up in northeast India a few years ago, and he came to a group that um, they're having a big conference, and this particular group of believers uh, years ago uh, had been reached with the gospel by missionaries from Wales, and yet they had heard that Wales, way up there in, in England, has now become post-Christian, and the very part of the world that had sent them the gospel had now virtually abandoned the Christian faith. And so the SI missionary was there said the banner across the front of the church read, The Gospel for Wales. And they were hoping and mobilizing to send missionaries from northeast India back to Wales with the gospel. This is the face of the church in the global south. So I'd like, as we close, for each of you to be thinking, what is God calling for Calvary Bible Church in Nassau and the Bahamas to be doing, given all of this, and particularly you? What does God want you to focus on? What part of the world, in prayer, what should you individually be now praying for in the world, in giving, and possibly God calling you to go? Look at the areas that still need the gospel. There is the Muslim areas of the world, North Africa and the Middle East, still virtually many, many, many uh, tens and hundreds of millions of people who have not heard the gospel. There is the Ganges River Valley. We've already identified it as a major area to be reached with the gospel. Areas of uh, um, Southeast Asia where Muslim and Buddhist countries still um, very unreached. Japan, we've identified as a country that has still just a, a handful of a percentage of the believers. Uh, we've talked about areas where in the, in the, uh, the Americas, the Caribbean, with the, the need for mobilizing missionaries, other parts of the Americas where uh, there are still unreached pockets, uh, where the people are very um, secular or uh, Catholic, still needing to hear the gospel of grace. Europe, um, some countries like France and Poland, with much less than 1% evangelical, that's less than in Saudi Arabia. Uh, in France and in Poland, there are fewer evangelicals by percentage than in Saudi Arabia. Many uh, ethnic Saudis are not believers, but Saudi Arabia has a lot of um, uh, workers from Palestine and from Pakistan and other places who are believers. And Central Asia, where there is still a strong Muslim community. Um, what of these parts of the world is God laying on your heart to focus on in prayer, to focus on and give very intentionally to get some missionaries there? or perhaps even to go out in some short-term project. This is what yet to be remains in the task of the Great Commission.